But I still would like to really talk about what's going on on our southern border. I still would like to talk about immigration. So, so that that should I shouldn't be all of a sudden now a racist, yeah. and I shouldn't be all of a sudden now a Trump loving, flag clutching, imperialistic, uh, uh, make a MAGA hat wearing, right wing cray. I, I could I could just be a citizen and a saint who looks on and goes, if you care about people. People are being murdered. Children are being raped. That is a bad policy. Should the church have nothing to say about that? Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hi, welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. I am really excited to have my pastor, a man of faith in the house, Pastor Frank Ramser. Thank you for being with me today, man. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I've been looking forward to, well, obviously we've had some conversations offline, so I've been looking forward to having a conversation online because I have absolutely been contemplating repeatedly, had guests on consistently to really have a conversation in one way or another about how what's happening in the culture is impacting all of us. But I'm really intrigued about how what's happening in the culture is impacting the church. In my lifetime, I think we're going through quite possibly one of the most interesting, one of the most divergent times in the church that I have ever experienced. And I would say one of the most important times that I've ever experienced as a Christian. Uh, and so in 2020, it just seems maybe that's just when I became aware of it, and I'm sure that's the truth and that there were things going on prior to 2020, but it just seems that 2020 was this kind of like ticking time bomb that went off and things just changed. So whether that's, you know, what happened with George Floyd or the fact that we just experienced a once in a lifetime global pandemic, or even just the cultural shifts that are happening so rapidly right now in society, I can't help but wonder how that's impacting us kind of writ large, but really again, especially as a church, it just seems like we're living in right now one of the most crucial and important times. And certainly nothing like this has happened in any of our lifetimes before. And I just find myself constantly wanting to process that and think about how it's how it's changed things, how it's changed us, and most importantly, how the church should respond to what's happening. And so that's where your story comes in, because your story is so powerful. I think it's a great example to all of us about how we should awaken to kind of what's happening in the culture. So share your personal story with us, how it's shaped you, but then also to how it shaped ministry at Calvary Chapel, a church that you took from two people in a living room, and then over the last 21 years, built it into one of the, the biggest churches in our city. How What happened to you in 2020 has shaped ministry for Calvary Chapel in this season, and perhaps in, in the future to come for generations? So first, I would say that I, I agree with you 100% about 2020. It's, it seems now more like uh, culturally this shift happened slowly and then all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So like you said, whether it was COVID, uh, George Floyd, um, it, it uh, yeah, an, a, a new administration in our country. I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 you are, I, so I agree with you. Not every believer believes that this is a critical time mm-hmm. 
that this is one of the most important times of the church's face. But I agree with you. I, I sincerely agree with you. Um, yeah, we'll talk in a minute about why maybe that is. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I so my my and I and I would say that. Um, Okay, so something something began to sort of perk. I had a I was never familiar with a man by the name of Dr. Vodibakum, which I know you are, um, and it was about oh, in it must have been in um, prior. It was prior to COVID. It was prior to COVID because the George Floyd thing happened before COVID actually exploded. The end of a service, a man that I really respect, I in the fellowship uh, texted me after a weekend service and said, "Hey, this might be worth a listen." And uh, you know, I get I get tons of that, and I I don't always have time for all every book that I'm handed and every podcast that I'm having in every YouTube video. Um, and uh, but it was a teaching by Dr. Vodi Bakum on cultural Marxism. Now I I didn't I I I didn't I I piddled away my education. I didn't go to school, so... <laughs> well, I didn't, and I really wasn't familiar with cultural Marxism either. Well, it was, it was so... But it, when, once I listened to his... I, so I listened to him teach on cultural Marxism. And it was if, t- for me, it, a light went off. It was mm-hmm. it through that prism, I think I was able to understand a lot of the... I, I think a lot of the church is confused about a lot of the terminology that just came at us, like, I don't know, social justice... Has been around for a bit, but yeah. what social justice is and what isn't would leave the vast majority of the church outside of the last two years pretty lost. Yeah, and, so, and by the way, I, I just want to say this too. Like, so you think about like critical theory, you think about gender studies, gender theory, cultural Marxism, critical theory, all of these terms. And if this is where the framing part comes in a little bit, I think if you don't know what those are, then you have the tendency to say. I don't know. I don't see it. I'm. I think you may be overreacting, but but you like me, as you started to become aware of these things, that's when the kind of alarm started to come off. So I think this is where we are as a church: is that people are seeing these things and they don't know how to respond or what to think about them. But the more you dig into it, you start to say, and I'm just going to make a loaded statement here. I, you start to say, oh boy, this is not just a idea. This is not just a dangerous idea. This is a counter gospel idea. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I think so that that was a pivotal moment, and then subsequently, I had one of the. I mean, I'm 21 years. I had, I had the strangest experience. Yeah, I literally on a Thursday afternoon, I'm getting a little bit of a scratch in my thro- throat, and uh, by I think it was Friday afternoon, my voice was completely gone. I mean, it's completely gone. I mean, literally. I mean, I completely gone. So, and and, and just I mean, just out of I, nowhere, just right? out of nowhere. I mean, it's just it's just literally. I mean, I wasn't sick. Uh, I I I wasn't run down. This is before. I mean, it's just the oddest scenario. Mm-hmm. And um, so I lose my voice, and I am I I was scheduled to be on my wife out of town with my wife for that particular weekend, so I wasn't teaching. I thought, well, by next weekend, my voice will come back. It hadn't. I think I got into like the third week. It had it had not returned. During that time, George Floyd happens, and you know everyone's looking to the church for an answer. And people, Black Lives Matter uh, protests are happening all all over the 
country. Churches are posting the black square. Um, you know, uh, it, it was a it was a moment, right? It was certainly yeah. a very interesting moment. Um, I had a I and I I historically uh, kind of again back to the sort of the DNA. Historically, am very 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 slow to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just jumping straight in doesn't ever seem wise to me. So historically, we're about a week after we're about a week after George Floyd, and I'm getting emails from people in the body like, "Hey, where's your like? Wh- where's our? What's our big statement? And what yeah. are we gonna?" And um, and I did have one particular fellow from the fellowship, uh, a uh, black brother, who said, who texted me, he's like, "Brother, where is your voice?" Mm-hmm. Well, quite literally, I there was no. I mean, I did not have a voice. <laughs> I mean, I did. You know, there wasn't. Yeah. I didn't, and I and I um, re- responded via text. Like, honestly, I, I don't don't have a voice. And we kind of went. We got back into this dialogue, it, which sort of began to head down the. Well, surely you're going to end up on the like. You're going to make a statement. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up. We're going to make. Gonna a be st- on the right side. Yeah, of you're going to you're going to up on the right side of the argument here. I mean, this is a moment. And uh, I was pretty sure, based upon some of the things that I had been exposed to through, and I, of course, I listened to Vody Bakum on social justice, uh, uh, Gnostic eth- uh, um, ethnic Gnosticism, which mm-hmm. I thought was just a brilliant Absolutely. gospel insight into these ideas. So I was pretty sure that my, my statement was not going to line up with his idea, um, but I wasn't going to. You know, I'm not a social media person. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have a Facebook account. Um, it's just not. It's just not my world. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we have one at the church, and you know, we could put some things out in that regard. But I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna be sort of drug into what turned out to be kind of a yucky fight, right? Mm-hmm. And um, well, my voice didn't return, and my voice didn't return, and my voice didn't return, my voice. I mean, so well in that time period. Um, and in hindsight, it is really, really significant to me, and I, I, I can't describe it to anything other than God. But I get the sense. In fact, in the middle of this, I went to my a dear friend of mine, it's an ENT, mm-hmm. sat with my wife, ran a scope down my down my down my throat, and uh, I watched my wife. You know, they got a high def screen behind me. I don't know what they're looking at, but they're looking at my vocal cords, and he's having me do vocal exercises. And my wife puts her hand up, and my doctor friend looks at me, and he's like. Your vocal cord's paralyzed. Your left vocal cord does not move. It's so nuts. I mean, it just paralyzed. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, is, 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 you know, well, this, is this, what, what do we do? He's yeah. like, there's, there's nothing we can, there's nothing we can do. Did they have a diagnosis? They're like, could they tell you where it came from? Well, so um, they think that if you had had um, chicken pox as a kid, that that viral sort of capacity remains in your body. And later on, if you have a flare-up, it'll be a nerve-type thing and can affect the nerve, the nerve. That's why a lot of folks, I've had fibromyalgia, I mean, not fibromyalgia, but um, Bell's palsy before. Mm-hmm. And uh, or just half my face just literally, you know, just paralyzed. Um, in fact, it might even have been the same side in hindsight, but nevertheless. Um, so I'm looking at my doctor saying, you know, steroid? I mean, is there, yeah, I'll put you on a steroid. We'll just, we'll see what's going on. Um, week, 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 three, four, five, six, seven weeks go by. Um, well, in the me in that time, I, I, I went to school I and mean, I think the Lord took me to school and he just, I began to read 
extensively, listened extensively to voices that were outside of my movement, outside of my wheelhouse, outside of my real, you know, interest. But I was, I, w- I think the Lord took me to school and just said, this, this is what's happening. This is what we're facing. This is what's going on in the culture. These are the terms that they're, that is that everyone is being bombarded with, but nobody really understands. So it's mm-hmm. not something, you talk about critical theory, systemic racism, social justice, uh, transgenderism, and all these issues yeah. um, that we just, it was not something that we dealt with. Um, well... Uh, all I can say is it, it, it seems to me as if the Lord said, you know, I know your nature, you are a bit of a, I'm, I'm, you, you want to, you want to get in the game. You're a, I'm a pastor. God made me a pastor. I care for the flock. I could see that we're all confused, right? Mm -hmm. All of us were confused. We're getting tossed to and fro. It looks like the church is getting diced up. Leading voices are maybe leading us in the wrong direction, perhaps. I mean, it was just really confusing, right? Not the things have gotten clear. Yeah, and uh, and I came out w- with a voice, both literally and I think figuratively, that is that would, you know, some would look on and go, you you, what's what happened to the church? What happened to Calvary? Calvary's gotten all political. You guys have gotten involved in these things, and that we you, we've turned a corner, and we've had a, you know, we've uh, we've had a. We, there's this emphasis now that never was. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what's wrong? And um, so that was really what happened to me. Yeah. But in that silent period, I mean, brother, I I, I went to school. I mean, I I, I read books. Uh, Dreher's book, "Live Not by Lies," was yeah. a was a staple. I was inter. I mean, it was. I'll tell you something that was mind blowing. I, I was introduced to um, some speakers and books and their ideas that you're going. I couldn't have imagined in my entire life that I would read a book by this, 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 and this. But I'm reading a book by, um, you know, I'm reading a book by Douglas Murray called mm-hmm. "The Madness of Crowds." Yeah. You've got a you've got a gay, British, atheist historian, and as I'm reading, yeah, Douglas Murray's book, I'm thinking to myself, "This is so strange because I've got more. I see things more in line." Yeah with him than I do a lot of our, some of the leading voices in the evangelical church. And I'm going, this is, this is odd. I have the same kind of response to, uh, to, and I know not everybody likes him, but like, it's like, you don't have to like everybody. Yeah. Um, I have the same response to Ben Shapiro. I started listening to him and I started thinking, how come Christians don't sound like this Jew? Uh, like we <laughs> say we're pro-life. How come none of us say this stuff? Um, we say we care about biblical sexuality, but nobody is saying what Ben Shapiro is saying. And so I started listening to him, and then I caught the Vody stuff too, and it just absolutely changed my world. And then another person who was very influential too was Jordan Peterson. And what's interesting to me is that you've got a Jew, you've got a um, evangelical Christian, and then you've got somebody who, by all accounts, is probably agnostic, I guess, at best, Jordan Peterson. Um, but all of them are doing what Douglas Murray is doing and saying, hey, we're experiencing a faith crisis in the West, and we're replacing God with all of these woke ideologies. And if we continue to do this, we're going to continue to experience. And I'm just thinking to myself, only one of these guys is a Christian. The rest of these guys are non-Christians, and they're saying, Christians, wake up. It's time for us to like pay attention to what's going on. 
And I want to say one story too, because I don't want to forget to say this. Um, I almost equate it to this. Like Tennessee was one of the first places to lift the mask mandate for COVID. Um, One of the few first places to do, I don't remember where we were, but nonetheless, I remember like the day of and a couple of days after and you still saw people everywhere with their mask on. Now, that could have been that they were just still concerned and still worried about that, but I also found myself doing it. I had gotten so used to in that year wearing a mask that I was like, oh, it's time to take the mask off. And then I was also like, well, I don't know where I can take it off and if I can take it off and are some stores still wanting me to wear it? And, and, and I got so used in a year to wearing that mask that um, I was having trouble adjusting to this new reality. Um, And I almost wonder if that's not the way we are with the church. We've gotten so used to doing things a certain way that it's hard for us to wake up. Now, I'll be the first to say, I don't want to be a reactionary. I don't want to just be a knee-jerk reactionary that's just responding to the culture. But also, when I need to react, I don't want to sit back. You know, we've heard the the German church analogy uh, over and over again where they're sitting back and they're still having church while Hitler is throwing Jews into concentration camps. And very few of uh, Christians were brave enough to be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to say, wait a second, like our faith demands that we take a, a step of action here beyond just the norm. So, uh, I yeah, I agree that um, if we were to try to, if we were to try to like make sense of what like how the what what the church has done or what the, what COVID has revealed as it relates to the church in the West, um, well, COVID's one thing. I think COVID. I think George Floyd. I think a new administration that is just straight left. Um has all it's it i believe um we have drifted so far away from any kind of like absolute truth Mm -hmm. that when every single solitary thing is on the table for sort of postmodern discussion let's not make a stand let's just have a let's have a conversation yeah and we begin to entertain uh, the number of genders, it, 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 78 and climbing. Yeah. I mean, it just, you, you think to yourself, this is, so I don't think you're, uh, I, I don't think you're wrong that we're, that there's a, that we, um, we don't want to be reactionary. Someone, someone look at you and say, you're completely, you're, you're you, right now you're being reactionary. There's, there's nothing, we're not in any great crisis yeah church isn't facing any sort of uh problem um <laughs> i think the church is and i think we're largely responsible and i and i'm and i'm, I'm i i hold myself completely you know uh culpable for part of it I, I think when i look back now having started to dig really into history and look back at some of these ideas and have these ideas ever been ever been unleashed upon society before yeah a couple times and they've always turned out always the same way about 120 million people have been murdered all under the name of these kinds of dark really dark ideologies that are anti-god anti-truth anti-gospel um Mm anti-individual um so yeah we we, so i look on and i think you know the church 
and again, I'm, I've been a part of it. We we have been our culture has afforded us such ease uh, that we have in our ease all of our Bible teaching. I, if you go back and you look, I think this is a pretty fair. And I haven't done the hard research, but I can just tell you the ex- anecdotally that we we have largely focused in the West on flourishing. We want flourishing marriages, and mm-hmm. Scripture's got plenty to say about marriage. We want, we want to be parents that flourish in our parenting, that we're, that we are, uh, aren't disengaged. We're engaged parents. We want, um, we want to fi- flourish in our finances. We're affluent. We want to make sure yeah. that we do that in a way that honors God. And we want to do it well. And uh, so we don't, we we we've had largely, uh, you know, you had a little blip on the radar screen back in September 11th, right, the 2001 scenario. Mm-hmm. Where we thought, oh, maybe there's a threat. But we have been, it's been so easy for us yeah. that there has, the, the threat has been this slow. An erosion. Erosion, creep, cultural creep. We've sort of, we've huddled together and we've grown and we've we've gotten the gospel out all over the world. I think still to this day. It's seventy-eight or eighty-six cents of every dollar that goes to the cause of world missions comes from this country. Mm-hmm. And we, we've, so the church has done a lot of beautiful things, but we've largely focused on ourselves and prospering ourselves and flourishing, and uh, we don't know anything about fighting at all. So when you begin to when you begin to talk about you know we might there may be a time to fight, you can see I can see I've seen in my in my own fellowship people just cringe like. Oh no, we're not. They're, we're we're not gonna. Well, Jesus wouldn't fight. Yeah, we're not gonna fight anybody. We're not gonna get aggressive. There's there's no reason to fight. There's not even a threat. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a that's a bit of a problem. So I don't think you're being reactionary. I think you see it clearly. Um, and we're just not, we're not talking just simply because we both agree, but we are both concerned as we look on. Well, let's let's see if we can describe the threat to the best of our ability because here's the deal I think um, and hopefully people who are watch who are watching this would would think this because I want to try to reach a broad audience but I think that there are some people who would say uh, and I was watching this last night with a well-known pastor in America um, and I don't think I'm being unfair and I'm going to use his name because I want people to be able to go back and look at this and make sure that You're I am so being fair. Yeah. So I was listening to Andy Stanley talk about some upheaval in his church when he decided that he was not going to have church until COVID was just like totally over, like for a year, they had decided we're not going to... New Zealand, zero COVID policy. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Like yeah. we're, we're done for a year. We're going to do online only. And he got a bunch of f- kickback from, from that decision. And I believe it sure seemed apparent to me that essentially what he did in this message where he's talking about cultural war Christians is he's castigating all the people who disagree with his idea and painting them with this brush, and he's calling them cultural war Christians and said, we've tried to avoid being cultural war Christians, and then he... And then, so he creates his own term, and then he defines his own term, and he says, cultural war Christians are essentially this, people who always think they're under attack and are always against stuff and never for stuff. And I'm sure there's people who are amening and clapping to that. The only problem is that I think he's creating a straw man. Uh, I think if you have any understanding of Jesus and church history, you understand that the church has actively been about fighting things that are going on in the culture and resisting those things in order to 
be fed, uh, in order because of their fiduciary responsibility to the scripture, to Christ, to take a stand against these things. So um, also th- I will also want to give one more analogy because uh, this just happened today. So I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on in Virginia, but there's a really heated race right now between the Republican and the Democrat uh, candidate for governor. And Terry McAuliffe uh, was uh, answering some questions just recently, and he said this. He said, um, talking about what took place in Loudoun County, and again, I don't know if you are familiar, but uh, a lot of stuff happening there. And then there was a, a, a boy that was dressed as a girl who raped a young woman in the bathroom, and the school board there said nothing like that's ever happened, but of course this has happened, and this, the commissioner just lied about it flat out. Um, and McAuliffe was act- asked about this, and he said, um, well, transgender people have lots of issues growing up, and I don't understand why we want to try to make their life harder, and why should we be picking on transgender kids? And I'm just thinking to myself, you just framed that in the most unintellectual and dishonest way you possibly could. This is about a girl that was raped in a bathroom and a school, school board commissioner that hid it, and you're framing it as we're trying to pick on a transgender kid who raped a girl in a bathroom. Um, and so I'm just... I'm only bringing those things up to just say this, that I I hear the way very much progressive Christians are trying to frame uh, people like myself and maybe even people like you, and you're talking out about this thing and framing it like, don't get political, don't just preach the gospel. And and again, I'll say it, what they really mean is don't talk about these issues and just be quiet, um, is what it sounds like to me, is what it comes off as. Yeah, I... I have, um, I have uh, something. So I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I have, but and scratching my head a lot. And I've been, in some cases, just, uh, and the and the confusion has large has largely been. I, I, I can appreciate uh, someone wanting to avoid the political, the red versus blue, and the right versus left, and the Republican versus Democrat, and. The policy issues, I, I I can get that, and I can get uh, a uh, the criticism that we shouldn't use the pulpit for political purpose. I, I can I can understand that. What what I what I'm have been confused by is seemingly an inability to recognize that this doesn't have anything to do with left or right or Democrat Republican. There, yeah. this is a you you mentioned earlier. This isn't this is a bad idea. This is an ideology, a leftist idea, yeah. a Marxist ideology, uh, the oppressor and the oppressed ideology that it, it which really has at its source uh, the idea of perf- of control. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, um, with the control, especially here, I think we, you know, the, the church's language is freedom, liberty, and uh, and not a liberty. It's like if you talk about American exceptionalism, that's just just such a, the left thinks it's just such a nasty mm-hmm. term. It's a uh, a uh, oppressive, unfair, authoritarian problem. But the scriptures talk about the fact that he who's been given much, you know. It's going to be required much. To him who's been much been given, there's going to be much required. Our American exceptionalism would come out of the deep biblical roots of 
you know, we, we, we have a liberty not for ourselves, right? Scripture makes it very clear. We, we use our liberty as a license for selfish, licentious behavior, but to do beautiful things. Well, the individual is going to be destroyed. The image of God is going to be destroyed. The Imago Dei, we're created in the image of God, is going to be destroyed. So the individual is under attack. That's what we're having all these, these discussions about, right? I mean, so um, as I've looked at all of this, I'm thinking to myself, surely you can see past the talking points. Church leader, Bible man, biblical evangelical leader that's written the commentaries. Surely you can see past the smokescreen of the talking points and the next fire. Mm-hmm. Like, can't can you not see that behind all this, it will be a direct assault on the truth, mm-hmm. the gospel truth, on people that are going to adhere to the truth. Hate speech is going. This is going to be hate speech. God's word is going to be hate speech. And again, I, I you know, I'm. I, 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 church history, you refer to church history, the history of the church. We, the church has always been a persecuted minority. Mm-hmm. We've experienced something in the West, and especially in our country, um, that is unparalleled. Yeah. It's supernatural, it's divine. You can, I don't think you can disconnect it. And we can lose it. I mean, at the, under the sovereignty of God, we can lose sure. it. We would deserve judgment. We may be under judgment. But I just don't think that the idea is for us just to sit down and not be the salt and the light in culture that we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. So this issue in Loudoun County, um, I think, is an issue that you go like, well, where where were the salt and light people that were stood against the policy that allowed the young man who thinks he's a girl into the bathroom to rape the young girl? Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's a policy issue that we shouldn't touch it. But but look what look what's happened. Yeah. Is it not? So what? Past the scratching of the head and past the confusion as to why don't you see this as the prince of the power of the air, the uh, spirit of the age? Um, why can't you see that this really is not, this is principalities and powers. This is an unusual time where the, the target, the bullseye mm-hmm. is on the church. Yeah. We're in the way. Yeah, We're always in the way. Now, I want to talk to you about that there real yeah. quick. Cause I, so in further trying to drill down in describing this, this is what I have come to the conclusion of, at least in part is that when we say, okay, so there's a target on the back of Christians, that some people might even say, well, that's a little bit, you know, scare tactic-ish or whatever. But the reason I think that that's legitimate and that's apropos is because if you do enough kind of digging into what's going on uh, with critical race theory, where critical theory comes on, it, it comes from, you're going to tr- you're going to eventually, any honest intellectual will tell you the same, you're going to eventually find yourself landing at Marx, okay? And when you dig into Marxist stuff, not only are you going to find anti-Semitic and racist rhetoric, you are also going to find anti-Christian rhetoric. And I have told people this a lot lately, that, um, that Marx got one thing right. He said that uh, he believed that Christianity was the biggest threat to the Marxist revolution. It's why he called religion the opiate of the masses, because he believed that Christians would be the ones standing in his way for revolution. And he believed, this is a quote from Marx, that for Marxism to work, you must, you, it, it is reliant upon the overthrow of all existing conditions. So this is Marx. He wants to destroy everything and then build back from the ashes. Absolute chaos theory kind of guy. 
And the only thing that's keeping him, in his opinion, uh, maybe not the only thing, but certainly one of the prominent things, is religion, religious people, Christians. And so this is where when you start to realize this stuff, you start, lights start to come on and you start to realize, oh, well, this is why all of a sudden this movement is anti-truth. This is why this movement is anti-biblical sexuality. This is why this movement is anti-nuclear family because God was the one who originated the family. And then you start to see these correlations and then you realize where there's smoke, there's fire, brother. And if you're going to keep on pretending that there's not a fire, well, the whole thing is going to burn down and it'll be too late. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when we're being told what the agenda is. I mean, if early on, and you can't find it now, but you know, BLM scrubbed their What We're About page, and they made it very, very clear. Yeah. We are trained Marxists. We are against the the, the uh, patriarchal nuclear family. You know, you just looked on and you thought, okay, so, but God isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so and, and, they, and then, of, again, all the things that they would, they would, that their ultimate, which didn't have anything to do with black lives, come to find out, you know, I mean, the protection of black lives, the care for black lives. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's just a farce. So. It's a rhetorical trick. Absolutely. And I, and I, I submit to you, and this is why coming back to sort of the principalities and powers, black lives matter, social justice. Um, we, we are, we are. The, these, the, I, you listen. I, <laughs> why folks can't see clearly seems to me a great deception. I mean, it is mm-hmm. odd. Yeah. That you look on and you go because you, you've got pastors like what I just mentioned and more who just. Well, yeah. I mean, I you know. So here's my here. I I, I did drift and I do tend. To, to drip, but I want to finish up on something that you yeah. asked earlier. So you got this, sadly, this, what we're facing culturally is dividing the church. Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, sort of basically said, there's this woke ideology, which is left, which is Marxist, which is oppressor of the oppressed. Like it is a fault line underneath the evangelical church. Yeah. It is going to blow. It's there will, once it, it's a matter of time and there will be two sides so we're watching we are watching that we we certainly are watching that i mean the fact that you just mentioned that you've got a group that looks on and says there are these culture war christians and um they would look at you look at me and say you know you should, this is there there is no fire calm down we've been through tougher things than this Uh, anything that would get in the gospel is a, is a, is a is a is a great mistake. So as I've thought through it, can be confused through it, frustrated through it, um, you know. And of course, people in your own fellowship have these ideas too. Um, again, because we've just been so, we've been sort of lulled to sleep. Mm-hmm. Our, we, our affluence has been a great blessing. Uh, it's why, by the way, I think the, the Lord pulled the children of Israel out of the affluence of Egypt and brought them to a land that was rocky and hard. They, they were never going to become the people God wanted them to be in that in that place. Well, mm-hmm. we, we've been in such affluence. The church has suffered very little. Um, and when in cult- the West. Yeah, and, and as culture, yeah, in the West. Yeah, the church has not suffered. The church has always suffered. But the, we've just sort of allowed it all to happen. So we've got, we've got all, we're having all these conversations. You think, I can't even believe we're having these conversations. Conversations I'm having with my children yeah. are not the conversations that we have with our, with our folks, right? So as I've tried to get past the confusion, some frustration, 
um, I've tried to look on it with the very highest lens I possibly can. And I look on at fellows like you mentioned, Andy Stanley and others. He, he closed his church. We opened our church, right? And mm-hmm. we got some different ideas. And I agree. Here's what I would hope that the, this is, I think, an op- this dark time could be a real great opportunity for the church if we could treat one another with a little different kind of respect. Mm-hmm. I would look on and say, I disagree with that position. I, di- I disagree with the position to shut your church, the zero COVID policy. I think COVID is a whole nother discussion. We could have at a different yeah. time. Who's behind it? What what it is? What it isn't? Vaccines, masks, all of it. Well, just so you know, the NIH came out today. Did you hear this? That gain of functioning research was funded in the Wuhan lab, which basically everybody knew. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we're you know again, I'll 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 avoid that rabbit trail. Sure. But <laughs> but then again, and we I think we might even have. And, the, and the, there, this exists in the church. I think that we probably have some different, pers- you know, ecclesiology. What, what really is the church? Sure. And I think that coming from a Southern Baptist background with a great father like Charles Stanley, I think that you look at Andy Stanley's mission statement and churches like it. I've got dear friends that are just extraordinarily evangelistic. And to them, it's like that we shouldn't, we anything that would, like I've heard pastors say, well, we can't isolate, the, alienate the very people that we're trying to reach. I, I totally appreciate yeah. that. I totally appreciate that. I mean, I get it. Like, let's don't let politics or the alleged boogeyman of culture that, you know, we're all, we don't want to run around petrified. People, people need to know Jesus. I, I got it. And I can, I can sort of take the highest road to say, that's not what I would do. But and that pastor is going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for what he's done. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, give an account for what I have or have not done. And um, so I could I could give grace to my brother to say, um, with more of an emphasis upon, you know, Jesus is both the lion and the lamb, mm-hmm. and he's never you know not the lion when he's the lamb, and he's never not the right lamb when mm-hmm. he's. The... And so some. Their hearts beat. I think Andy Stanley and his organization is a heart that they want to introduce people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I applaud that. I think over the years, multitudes have come to saving faith through through their ministry. Um, but could he be big enough to look on and champion someone like me who decided that it was, I felt like, you know what, we need to open up our church because mm-hmm. the church is more than just a place where we evangelize. Yeah. It's a place where the where the saints are actually equipped, and yeah. we do body life. So, I, I I'm going to give that respect. I'm going to give. But you don't that, think it's mutual? You're you question whether or not it may be mutual. Doesn't seem to be. I haven't really heard anybody really want to give the cultural warrior. What was he calling the Christian? cultural war Christians? Yeah, yeah, I haven't really heard anybody want to give too much of that much credence. Now, to be fair, fellas that I really respect that would would fall into this you know um culture war christian camp can also be really brash and abrasive but i i think that's the point is i think we have to have nuanced kind of conversations dialogue about this stuff because i would agree on one hand with andy that i think i know some aspect of what a culture war christian looks like there are those Christians out there, right, who just are absolutely obsessed with Trump and like it's like Jesus here and Trump here. <laughs> um, uh, there are some Christians out there who are who are like that, and uh, but but I, I I think that without really 
digging into these ideas and framing them as honestly as possible, what we also run the risk of doing. And this is just my concern. I don't want to, I think what you just said is very, very humble and very, very kind and graceful. But I am concerned that what we may watch on, what we may see on our watch is what Isaiah talks about with truth falling in the street. And um, and, and this is a paraphrase, but essentially he says this, that when tr- truth falls in the street, evil becomes good and good becomes evil, and those who wish to do righteous will be, will be castigated and attacked by those who are evil. Righteousness will become a blight in society. And I just, I care enough about Christ, I care enough about his church, and I care enough about his people to want to say, I don't want to be a part of sitting back and letting that happen. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, and I think maybe, so one, all that we have faced, and especially with what's happening with the mandates in this COVID scenario, mm-hmm. vaccine mandates, you know, the Lord called the children of Israel this strange and peculiar people, people that he called out to himself. And I think here in the West, we're going to get that chance to be the strange and the peculiar people yeah. in the sense that we, I think the church is really being called to, 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 to live by faith to the point that people are willing to lose their jobs for it just because they feel by their own conviction um, that they don't, uh, they don't, they don't want to take this, you know, this, this vaccine. And, um, and, but, they're going to have to, so they say, we all say that God's our provider. We all say God's the one who's going to take care of us. Um, and I think in some cases, the Lord's tapping on all of our shoulders, leaders and, you know, all of us together and saying, am I really your provider? Am I really your protector? Am I really the one that, am I really the one that you trust? And, uh, and I'm watching that in our fellowship that people are, we are really, really being, pre- do you really, I mean, do you, this is going to cost you. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I came out of the silent season there, I, it was very clear. Um, the Lord spoke to me, and I spoke to my leadership team. It, the impression was, um, "You aren't. The, the, I didn't make you to be silent. I didn't show you. I didn't. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard. Um, you you do see. I think you see, Frank. I've shown you what's happening culturally clearly. Again, some could disagree, but I, to me, it's altogether clear. And um, but when you go forward and you try to address. Um, the flock, um, you're gonna, the, 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 you're gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt, mm. and so you're gonna lose friends. You're gonna lose friends that you don't even know you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose friends you've had for a long, long time, dear people. Um, they're gonna misunderstand you. They're gonna, they're gonna, in some cases, hate you. They're gonna leave you. Uh, and, but are you gonna do what I've asked you to do? Mm-hmm. And so. I think the church, this moment, has really been such a sifting of who's the Lord, who who's our provider, who who are we really looking to? Are we looking to government? Are we looking to God? Um, are we gonna stand on whatever convictions that we've got on whatever issue that we've got? Yeah. Are we gonna be silent? What are we gonna do? This is not like anything we've ever faced. I agree with you 100. percent This is nothing like I've ever faced in my lifetime. Certainly not as in the 21 years that I've been a pastor. This is very different. Um, but I think there's I think there's an opportunity here for us. I agree. Yeah. I really do. Um, if if we could be maybe if we could demonstrate a little bit 
it's so divisive, right? Every is everything's so polarized, so divisive, and it just seems to me that those of us, two things: those of us that are filled with the Holy Spirit, God's kids, we should be able to rise above. We can we we can we've always had great debates, right? We I mean the church has got had great debates about things far greater than this. We should be able to rise above that and demonstrate to the world something different. I really think there's an opportunity in that. We, we're not doing, I don't know that we're doing a very good job. Maybe we'll progress. Mm-hmm. Secondly, when it comes back to what we're facing, if what we're really facing is evil, right? If we're really dealing with evil, an evil ideology that's anti-God, anti-truth, anti-Christ, anti-individual, anti... It seems to me that every single line that God has drawn borders gender, um, definition of marriage. I mean, the devil wants to blur Mm -hmm. every line that God has made, right? Because he hates God. Well, if God made those things because he's wise and he's good, when you blur those things, you get something bad. Mm -hmm. If it is the devil, if it is principalities and powers behind these ideologies that have been very effective in the past, right? And the church has always suffered greatly, right? Mm -hmm. The church has been grossly persecuted. To me, the only people on the planet that can stand against that kind of darkness mm-hmm. are the people that are filled with the, with, with the power of the Holy Spirit. I agree, yeah. So I think this is a moment to stand, not to shrink back. This is a moment to, to uh, shine. This is a moment that we should understand. Remember the Old Testament, the sons of Iskar, they're going to give David counsel. Yeah. They understood the times yep. so that David knew what he ought to do. Yeah. So... Gosh, you, 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 you wonder sometimes if some of what we're facing is because a lot of us in pulpits all over the place, just like me, I, I forsook my education and did foolish things. Um, but just that's why I can read a Douglas Murray, who's a British historian, mm-hmm. who can read the tea leaves and go like, hey, folks, this has happened before. These ideas have been applied to culture before. Mm-hmm. And they have been new. nothing but destructive. They have been terribly destructive. And I think we're I think we're looking at uh, a remix, right? We're looking at a remix that's been tried before. A practical hope outside of just a straight up revival where we begin to see right and wrong yeah. again, and the lines get clear. Is these ideas haven't ever been tried on us? And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just simply saying there is something altogether unique about who we've been and where we've come from as a nation. In the same way that Israel was altogether unique, you, if, you, if, we, if we know just uh, the mildest pieces about this nation's history. Mm-hmm. I, it's probably why what's happening in Australia isn't happening here yet. What's happening in New Zealand isn't happening here yet. Yeah. There's still... In the warp and the woof and the DNA of, of the founding fathers and the, yeah. and the DNA of who they were and how they constructed us, there's a divine idea. Freedom is God's idea, right? I mean, yeah. the greatest kind of freedom is God's idea. So these things have been unleashed before. Those places, those nations did have vibrant churches. There was a, you know, go back to Germany. Um, but they weren't. A nation like ours, mm-hmm. with a history like ours, with roots like ours. Yeah. And I just, you just got to wonder, is there, is the, it, 
the church without the church you don't have an america yeah period without the preaching of whitfield so this is douglas murray too without the church you don't have a west see this is the thing that Absolutely. douglas murray was so brilliant about as as a homosexual atheist he's like you can't throw out god and expect not, things not to get crazy in the especially the american west because it is so ingrained into who we are as, in our dna and so, so with that being said, one of, one of the things that you talked about is our like our DNA as a country, like the the principles that our country is founded upon. So let's let's see you try those principles here. So I I'm with you on that, and I I love that, and I am optimistic. But I do just want to push back at least to just say this. Here's what what I've wondered is that our our nation is built on some pretty profound and solid principles, even though critical race theory wants to undermine it. The 1619 Project, which is total hogwash, wants to try to undermine those things. They're removing Thomas Jefferson in New York City Council right now, um, even though he's the one that says we hold these truths to uh, be self-evident that we are created equal. It's these ideas that created the civil rights movement in America and helped the American West get rid of slavery quicker than any other culture that's been on the planet. Um, but there's one thing that, that bothers me. Um, and again, I hope I don't sound a pessimist. You're my pastor, so you can rebuke me. But <laughs> the one thing that bothers me is that I also read in Judges that then there arose a generation that knew not God, nor the works of him who had delivered them out of Israel. And I wonder, I personally believe, and I'm not going to justify this with evidence because I don't have any, I just have a gut feeling that we're either headed towards exile if we keep on at at the pace that we're going, where we want to undermine every institution and erode it with woke principles in America, or we're headed to revival. My concern with saying we're headed to revival is that we have pastors in America, spiritual leaders in America, that have altogether quit talking about revival. Maybe it's not fair to say this except, so I'll hedge my bet here. I'll say this in a pop culture um, kind of Christian way, the most prominent pastors in America, you don't hear them talking about revival anymore. And if we are headed to revival, and if that is one of the very few things that will save us from the cultural malaise that we are now in, um, I wonder if that's an option anymore because we've given up on anything other than kind of a institutional form of Christianity. That's my concern. I don't know if that's true. Well, I don't know if it's true either, but and that's an altogether valid concern. I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, it, if you just had to, I mean, a revival. When we talk about when you when you when you, okay. So I'm not a re, I'm not a, a great. Uh, I don't have a great vast knowledge of of um, revival in its uh, finer points, but I do know that a revival, a genuine one, um, it it. It's something that just is altogether up to the sovereign will of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just decides. There are prayers, prayers accompany revival, return to the word of God, repentance, and all kinds of things do return to revival. I mean, do sort of accompany revival. But we've talked a long time about, you know, could we, could we, could we, could we position ourselves for revival? I, um, I don't know that you can. I mean, in the sense that now, if we're no longer, if just as a corporately, you're just saying we're not even looking for. We're not talking about revival. We're not interested in revival. We're just, uh, you know, 
then well, you're right. I mean, that could be a joke. Well, I know that's not a concern of the progressive Christian left church. You know, they are all eat up with um, racial justice and social justice in its many forms. I don't, I don't think they even believe revival exists anymore. And that comes from their Christian heritage, yeah, which was a practical Christianity that wanted to strip miracles and any supernatural act of God outside of um, outside of the Bible and just go with the practical Christian living kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Adolf von Harnack. That's just that's inarguable. Right. They don't they don't even believe that right, revival exists. Absolutely. Well, so when you say it, it one of the th- when I say that I'm hopeful. <laughs> I, I talk about revival in the sense that you look on and you go, who, who can solve this dilemma? Yeah. Especially if, if I continue to come back to the fact that we're dealing with something that is at its all at its core, a yeah. supernatural scenario. Which I agree with, yeah. So then it's going to require a supernatural response. To, to what degree the church gets to play in that supernatural? I mean, we are the body of Christ on the earth. Mm-hmm. Is is a is a curious, you know, to what what what, what will he do? To what to what degree will he respond? How, what kind of a remnant does he need? Yeah, to bring a national revival, um, I, I don't know. I mean, those those are mysterious kinds of things. Yep. But I do. I have wondered, sort of coming back to that part that is maybe not relegated to only the sovereign move of God. We could be under judgment. We would deserve it. In that judge's passage, it talks about the fact that everyone does what is right in his own eyes. That's pretty much where we're at, right? Yeah. Um, but I wonder, you know, what the, you think about um, the way God makes what he makes. I, I'm, we, we homeschool our kids, and I, I, we've been doing biology on the— um, excuse me, botany. <laughs> That's a classic. What am I going to teach my kids <laughs> on uh, Tuesdays? And I get to I get to work with the kids, and we've been learning in the last this last Tuesday about these various mosses and where they come from, and this, that, and the other. And we begin to realize that there are these there are all kinds of purposes for mosses. Largely, we thought that you couldn't really get much out of them, mm. but um, my there is there is a, something that God designed. You know, there are certain mosses that we actually used in World War One. We realized both for their medicinal properties and their sort of sponge-like properties that we could actually pack a lot of wounds. We had run out of the capacity mm-hmm. to actually pack wounds, but not only were these mosses used to carry like seven, eight, ten times their, their weight in water or liquid, but then they also had these sort of medicinal properties. Point being, and that's, I wonder if the way God created this nation there is a there is a little, and you, we might be seeing little bits of it now. And I would I would I would not I would not personally ascribe it to man, but perhaps something divine. You you look at various states. You look at so in the way that we're designed, there is pushback. Mm-hmm. There are those that I don't know. Everyone, Ron DeSantis down in Florida. I don't particularly know his spiritual understanding but he seems to champion some of the ideas that really at the end of the day we know are gods yeah is it possible that there is enough of a there's enough of a of a foothold in how we were created even in our statism you know the capacity each state the state's capacity to sort of govern itself that we could there could be in a sense we could be saved in that regard yeah. you know what i mean where you'd go and I think we're seeing little bits of it now, and it doesn't have to necessarily come from 
I mean, not every person that was mm-hmm. a part of the founding of the nation was this evangelical Bible-believing Christian. We were largely far more moral than we are today. Yeah, um, and built on a foundation of revivalistic abs- Christianity. Right, but um, you know, ideas they matter. Yeah, and um, the biblical ideas, whether or not you're a believer or not, they'll work. Right. I mean, they just there's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Something that uh, Dennis Prager shared. Um, when he was in town not so long ago, um, one of the things that we're seeing is that if you remove God, you remove Scripture, you remove truth from our schools, you have no wisdom. You've got knowledge, yeah, but you have no wisdom. Mm-hmm. He who walks with the wise grows wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. The people that are teaching our kids in secular schools are fools. There's no wisdom. They're not wise. Our kids are turning out to be fools, mm-hmm. right? But is but there are there are others who look on and go. Mm. So I'm I wonder I've been wondering just on the practical level that I'd still ascribe it to something supernatural because I, I would say that this is a country that God founded and God loves, um, in a unique way. Mm-hmm. And we just have a unique history. We just do. Um, and that's not elitist. It's not uh, you know, it's just the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if I wonder if. I wonder if they're just in the way that God designed this nation and allowed it to, um, in the root system of who we are, if there's something strong enough to hold yeah. these winds that are really, really blowing hard. Um, it's going to take, you know, it, um, it's going to take some courage. Uh Bonhoeffer had courage. He had the kind of courage that faith, a genuine faith in him seemed to produce the kind of courage that the worst thing that could happen to him is they could kill him. Mm-hmm. So he had courage yeah. to go be a part of what he was a part of. Um, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Maybe a vacancy in all of our pulpits of the teaching of the word of God has left us without a faith that really believes that Christ has covered us, right? We we have been cleansed of all of our sins, and there is an eternal, there's a ter- there's an eternity coming. What can they do to us? Why can't we stand up? You mm-hmm. know, I think now is the time to stand. Though I would just sub- submit. We don't do it now. We're not going to do it. We're yeah, not do it later. So, with that being said, this is why I I object to kind of the framing of just oh, just you know. Uh, it's all about what you're against instead of what you're for and blah, 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 however you want to frame it. But the point is, I think there is hope if we take a stand, if we say our children are precious, they're not going to be taught that they're oppressors and oppressed. Um, We are not going to just listen to the racial categories that you guys have laid out for us. In fact, we I mean, I heard a guy say the other day so audaciously, it's 2020, man, we don't uh, and we're talking about colorblindness. We've gotten better than that. And I'm just thinking, no, no, we haven't. And there's a generation of people who are going to say, no, we refuse to look your racial, uh, racially essentialistic categories because they're racist. <laughs> and colorblindness is the best um, is the best pathway forward where we quit treating people 
um, based upon their immutable characteristics and treat them on the character of their heart, um, uh, which is exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. was, was dreaming about. Um, I still think, I, I agree with your optimism in the sense that I still think that there is a, uh, a remnant and there are principles that this nation was founded on that are robust and um, a lifeline of sorts that uh, mm-hmm. can change things. And I am optimistic. I, you know, I see what happened in Loudoun County. And <laughs> although in really at times that wasn't really uh, that, uh, that, that promising, but seeing parents say, you guys work for us. And it's time you remember that. Do you, so tell me if you think, this kind of comes back to what I have tried to land on and the position that I'm trying to take with, um, this divisive sort of posture of this group and the um, these two these two poles where we can't seem to sort of come together on anything and we can, but we can't anything political just doesn't seem to be accurate. See if this see if this doesn't run along the lines of what I shared before where we can we can it has to be both and when it comes to our ministry and we shouldn't see, a, we shouldn't see ourselves as citizens of this nation with no duty or obligation to this nation. I mean, if our gospel and our Christianity doesn't have any impact or any import to the nation in which we're living in, you, we sincerely got to question that, right? If it's only, sure. this is all about you share the gospel and you come to faith, and well, we want to teach you about your family, you want to teach you about your finances, but we're not going to mess with culture. We're not going to mess with the p- policy realm. So here recently... And of course, no doubt you're all together aware of what's happening at our southern border. Mm-hmm. And we got great, eloquent, deep theological discussions about whether or not that's a you know if you if you were a little alarmed at what's at, what's happening at our southern border, the left would just say you're racist. Uh, this sort of person that wants to call anyone who's concerned about that as a Christian like that might be a problem. Mm-hmm. The uh, sort of culture war Christian. So we've got some Afghan refugees from this last crisis, and Af- not the border, but this Afghan crisis where mm-hmm. we left Afghanistan and it was just a mess, right? But we've got Afghan refugees here in Chattanooga. So well, I, I've got a church that someone look on and go, well, we actually left Americans behind in Chattanooga. They're in Afghanistan. So, but we've got Afghani folks here. So, like, what would the church do with the Afghani folks here? Mm-hmm. You go, well, so we made an announcement that we're going to partner with a local ministry. We're going to try to help these Afghani folks here with just the basics, right? They've, they literally, they've, they've fled. Well, I do that having some pretty strong opinions about how we got the Afghani folks here in the first place. Yeah. Right? But I do that from the standpoint of going, um, although I have some real strong opinions about that politically, um, I still think the gospel calls us to love. Yep. They're here now. Let's love them. Let's, let's share with them. So, and that's a that's a perspective where I'm sort of broader. You're like, let's let's be a gospel person. That's sort of the let's make sure that we go be love the hands and feet of Jesus to someone who's in need. But I still would like to really talk about what's going what's going on on our southern border. I still I think, would like to talk about immigration. So, I think that's brilliant. So that. That should I shouldn't be all of a sudden now a racist, yeah, and I shouldn't be all of a sudden now a trump loving flag clutching imperialistic uh uh make a maga hat wearing right wing cray I, I could I could just be a citizen and a saint who looks on and goes, 
If you care about people, we love that. Yeah. People are being murdered, children are being raped. That is a bad policy. Mm-hmm. Should the church have nothing to say about that? Yeah. Are are borders unbiblical? So, on the one hand, I'm dealing with an issue that people would say like you shouldn't have anything to do with that. On the other hand, I'm having something to do with other another group would go like we shouldn't have yeah. anything to do with dealing with Africa. So. That's the kind of nuance I'm hoping that the church should kind of grasp. That. Like, it's not we're only going to talk about Jesus and we're not going to have anything to do with the culture. Why shouldn't we be doing both? Yeah, we should. Yeah, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's get the gospel out. Let's sort of the lion and lamb ministry. Let's let's talk about the Lamb of God who's who's uh, who's slain for the foundations of the world. And but let's 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 roar yeah, like the lions think, that we're meant to be. I think when know? we don't do that, we make room for being possessed by ideologies. Because let's face it. Let's just be fair. We're all going to be possessed by an ideology, one way or the other, right? The question is, is which one? Are you going to buy in to what I believe is anti-Christian, anti-biblical social justice wokeism? Or are you going to be possessed by a different ideology? Are you going to get your your understanding from, from Scripture? Are you going to let that truly um, be the thing that governs your life? Because let's face it. The father of lies has a thesaurus. He knows words and he knows how to teach. Um, And so what we have to do is I think we have to be willing to have conversations about words, discussions, and we have to be, more importantly, rooting ourselves in Christian scripture so that we can create a prescription for our world that... um, that will help us move past this incredibly weird cultural time and mm-hmm. and um, and do so in a way that keeps the main thing the main thing and keeps us on the right path. Um, the last thing I want to say about this is this, is I kind of wanted to end on something anecdotally, but I also think it's a little prescriptive. And then if you feel like you want to give a little bit more prescription, but I think that citizen saying thing is just absolutely beautiful. Um, but I wanted to share this with you just on a personal level, uh, but I think it's also a little prescriptive. So this past Wednesday, we had a worship night at our church, and I thought it was risky just because I come from churches uh, where millennial pastors are the ones doing things. And so you did basically, the worship team did covers from the early 2000s. Um, and, I, and I didn't know, I don't know the, the thinking behind that. You can share it if you want to, but ultimately, this is what happened in my heart when that was going on is I felt like the Lord started to speak to me and he started to reveal to me his um, eternality, that he is not a captive of the moment. Those songs brought me back to when I first got saved because I got saved in 2001. Um, and, uh, and, and, it, and it just kind of hit me in the heart that like our God extends beyond our present time. And then I started arguing a little bit with God, but it's like, yeah, God, but I, w- but I, but I wanted also be um be active in engaging the the culture and what's going on right now but i don't want to be a prisoner of the moment either and i felt like the lord said and i think this is true just rationally speaking it's both engage the culture but don't be consumed by the culture yeah and i i agree 100 percent. i think that's I think that's like anything. It's a bit of a. You said earlier you're going to have to. You you, you will you will be possessed by an ideology, um, and I think that what you describe there is 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 a bit of a all of life balance, right? What mm. what 
we're we well a lot of the epistles begin you know paul an apostle to the church at Colossae, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, you're going, well, wait, <laughs> in Colossae or in Christ Jesus? I mean, yeah. so you have these, we have these dual dual citizenship, and we're, we're to set our minds on things above. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, occupy until I come. So there's this, uh, you know, we sort of go through life trying to balance a heavenly perspective I mean, this this works its way through our purchasing decisions. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need that. I mean, we're, I'm a kingdom. I'm a, I mean, it's just it's it's just it's, it's it's a delicate place. So so much of life is in the ministries like that. What part of the ministry is mine? What part is the ministry is God's? What part is I cannot do? What part is like I'm not going to do for you? How do you navigate that? Yeah. You know. So I think you're right. I think that's that is so true that we're called to engage here. This was the moment that the Lord allowed us. I mean, these are the times that God allowed us to see. Um, and so we, these are the times that he wants us to navigate. These are the problems that we've got to troubleshoot. These are, these are the waters that we've got to swim in. At the same time, we serve a God that is all of it's underneath his feet, right? I mean, all the nations, there's a drop in the bucket. So, um, an extreme on either side, I think, renders us right and too heavenly minded no earthly good mm-hmm. too earthly minded no heavenly good it renders us sort of it, we're neutralized yeah and i think it's an appropriate connection with eternity that should make us rightly engaged here you know yeah. we should be that it the emphasis upon what that which is dying the eternality of God, our our nature i mean we we're you know, we'll We'll go on a few more years if the Lord allows us, but this isn't home. But, but this is our time. This is our moment, and I agree. We, we could get swallowed up in it. And we could lose focus, but I think that's I think that's true all the time. This is just a bit of a pressure cooker. Yeah. This, this is a curious time. I've, I've talked to leaders in all many spheres, school uh, principals and presidents and other pastors, and they've just said, I've never experienced anything like that. I talked to my our doctor. He's like, bro, I, I hate, this is this is maddening what we're yeah. going through. So how, how do we balance appropriately? And I think it, we have God's spirit dwelling within us. When we begin to get excessive, um, I think he... For me, any anyways, is can say, "Hey, we come on now." Yeah, um, let's get a little heavenly perspective, a little eternal perspective, and then you'll, you know, then go engage. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a great. I think that's a really great picture, and we really didn't have any. You know, I just let the, I just let the worship, I just let the worship guys fly. Do what they do. Yeah, yeah just fly. <laughs> and of course, I'm I'm from that era, so I just, to me it was old school. Well, it was and just, just interesting because we're such a contemporary church, and then they kind of like were throwing back that whole night. And <laughs> Two decades cool. ago, yeah. yeah, it was it was a sweet time. It really was a sweet time. And it's I think it's times like that, you know, that you. It's times like that that aren't just singing, that isn't just a show, that is you you had an experience, a genuine one, a d- deep spiritual one that um, is so real and so genuine that 
you can face the madness that we're facing. Yeah. I mean, if we have just a cultural Christianity, dry, stale, I think I know, I think I know, this is, this is, this is rubbing against all. So you, you, you are in the presence of God. You enjoyed the presence of God. He came and ministered to you in a profound way because we have a true and a living God. He's the living God. And um, so we, we, can, we should be those that navigate the madness in a very in a very different way. We can be those who navigate the okay. difference in a very different way. Well, I think you said it. I think our right perspective on eternity gives you a clear understanding of um, the world around you and how to engage the world around you. And so we just don't we don't need to be either. We don't need to be just so captivated by um, religiosity that we forget that we have a job here. And then we don't need to be so captivated by um, uh, what's going on around us that we forget that we have an obligation to God first and to respond in the way that, that he would want us to respond. But, I mean, it, uh, to me, it just goes back to grad school for me, is that good theology equals good praxis. Is that like the more you understand God, uh, the better off you'll be in this world. And this is why I think any thinker exists personally, is that I think... Um, we have gotten along well enough in the culture with just believing and now we're at a crucial time in history where it's not about just checking the box anymore it's about deeply understanding your faith being an independent thinker so that you do not fall to the whims of um, the ideologies that are invading the church right now, and the the better we can, def- the more the deeper we go into um, studying the Word of God and um, and the rational thought, I think too, um, surrounding those things, uh, the more we'll defend against those things, and it will be, I think, a curative for inevitably we didn't talk about it but inevitably what i think is a post-christian west which is why i think we're experiencing experiencing these aches and these pains of what's going on in our culture right now the reason we're seeing these things the reason 2020 probably happened in the way that it did is because it was an eye-opening moment for all of us to realize our world is moving further away from god and it will continue to do so if we don't do something yeah, and those that are far, those are those that are far, far away from God. The mm-hmm. who, by their own admission, the Douglas Murrays. You may have heard Shapiro's podcast with Barry Weiss. I did. Yeah, it's and great. She, she, when Ben said, you know, what are you, she's like, I, how are you getting through this? How are you navigating? She's, she's like, my faith. So mm-hmm. here you, here you have a woman who's, who's, uh, um, and a man who is looking on, going, we're departing from the very fabric of life meaning um douglas murray suggests that a lot of these ideas she 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 clued into it as well and this is again i think where there there is such a beautiful opportunity for the church that this widest madness is as attractive as it is is because there is a deep deep hunger for meaning and a young generation this stuff they want to be. They want to be. Um, they want to be kind. They want to be a part of something. You know, it's all climate change. They want to save the world. They want to save any victim. They want to save any oppressor. They don't want Jesus. They don't want righteousness. They don't want traditional anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just aching for meaning, and we know the one that we we it, yeah. right. So I think there is. An opportunity um, 
there really is an opportunity and uh, for the church in this age. And it, we're getting shook. We're, I don't know that we, the ship hasn't quite righted. Um, and I would love to see the ship ride a little bit and we function a little bit more in unity, a little, I think we're gonna have to be gritty, um, but I think that in our grit, we could extend a lot more grace to one another as, and we, we might be able to really um, shine in a way, in a dark, empty, meaningless, purposeless, voided, totally confused. I mean, these these bad ideas, they right they, their fruit. That the harvest will come. And it is going to be horrific. Mm-hmm. The the fruit of the transgender movement is going to be horrific. It's it already is. Yeah. Um, it. Mm. It's made talking about people when you put them in the plural totally nonsensical when you say they for an individual. But anyway. Well, it's it's beyond anything. That, it's it's completely irrational. But it, th- this is gonna this is going to have. Um, this is this is why you saw it sort of end of the first second feminist wave, a lot of moms that sort of bought into the idea real hard, and thought motherhood's about the most pathetic thing you could ever be you could ever endure. Yeah. I'm gonna go get involved in, and you have later on that you look on at a bunch of mothers or a bunch of women in the professional world that looked on and said. I, I, I spent my whole life for nothing. Hmm. Well, because it there is no meaning in chasing, uh, you know, d- double income and your own nice. It, it just, there just isn't any meaning in that. We have something. The family offers something. The church offers something. The gospel os- offers something that um, I think the world's really, really hungry for. We just have to figure out a way, I think, to position ourselves. <laughs> you know, while we're standing for righteousness, how can we stand for righteousness in such a way? that um, we, we have some kind of winsome message. And again, that's why the one side of the church says, well, we, we're not going to offend them. And uh, the, the other side says, well, I think we better stand up mm-hmm. a, a little bit because um, that's just a bad idea, and that bad idea is going to destroy them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Love, so I call truth, so. Well, we'll put it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your voice. Glad you got it back because uh, <laughs> we are all better for it. Yeah, thank you. Um, this has been... Uh, long overdue and I'm glad glad we had the privilege to do it thank you yeah me too thanks so much thanks everybody for watching our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors if you like what you heard today please do us a big favor and give it a five star review and like it and share it with friends and if you want to hear more awesome guests make sure to check out past episodes Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you in order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to indiethinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself. <laughs> <laughs>